Now, I do believe that the Lord has blessed us with some of the best musicians who just use their talents and their abilities for God, for Him alone, and that's what makes it so powerful when they play. Appreciate the spirit that is behind all that they do. And that's what we're gonna, we're gonna be in heaven for eternity. We're gonna be worshiping Him. And uh, it's gonna be beautiful, I guarantee you. I want you to turn with me to the Old Testament book of Hosea, chapter one. We're gonna look at two verses in chapter one and one verse in chapter two. Might not realize, but in the Hebrew Bible, actually uh, chapter two begins with chapter two, verse two. So chapter two, verse one is actually uh, still in chapter one in the Hebrew Bible. But you'll recall from last week that we began a new series in the Old Testament through this book of Hosea. Of course, we had no way of knowing what would take place as we went through this week. It's been a hard week for the nation of Israel. And those of us who care about them, it's uh, been traumatic and um, heart-wrenching, but we've lifted them up and prayed for them. But uh, you might be surprised how it's gonna connect with right where we are in 2023 with these three verses that we're gonna be looking at today. You'll recall from last time that I did say that Hosea's ministry, he's one of the minor prophets. He's right at the beginning of a whole group of 12 that are minor prophets. His ministry, John MacArthur said, went from about 755 to 710 BC. He wasn't the only one that was speaking to the Northern Kingdom. At this time, the the Kingdom of Israel was uh, divided. The Kingdom of Israel, the Northern Kingdom, and the Kingdom of Judah, the Southern Kingdom. And so God would call specific prophets to speak to either the north or the south or to both. But Hosea and Amos were definitely called to the north. Uh, Jonah was called to preach toward Assyria. But the nation had drifted away from God. Does that sound familiar to you? You know, the Bible is so relevant from generation to generation to generation. It's everlasting. And so that's why God's word can connect to you, connect to me, connect to where we are as a country and as a culture, connect to our world. I mean, it just goes on and on and it never ceases to amaze me. But the way they had drifted, they were uh, drifting into idolatry. They were drifting into immorality. There was lying and there was perjury, there was robbery. And uh, you'll remember that in chapter one, verse one, there was a king in Israel named Jeroboam. Well, 31 years after Jeroboam died, the Northern Kingdom was no more. It's like it was over. So the writing is on the wall and God is trying to warn them, if you want to disobey me, you're not going to make it. And so they were eventually defeated. They were disciplined, they were scattered by the Assyrians. But if you were to review the verses we read last time, you know what you would discover? They were disciplined and defeated, not just by the Assyrians. They were defeated by God. Remember in verse four where God said, I will punish the house of Jehu. I will put an end to Israel. Verse five, I will break the bow of Israel. Verse six, I will no more have mercy. I am not your God, when he says in verse nine. And so it's just incredible how all of these things make us think, oh my goodness, I'm not sure I like this book of Hosea. It seems so depressing and so dark. But you know, the message of Hosea is a mixture of judgment 
because of sin, it tells us the truth, holds up a mirror and says, this is where you are, this is what's coming. But it's also a mixture, not only of judgment, but also of love, a mixture of mercy. And so that's why last time I said Romans 5, 8, you're gonna see it over and over. It's gonna cycle back through. But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. If you're not yet connected to Christ, I want you to know that God still, he loves you. He gave his son to die on a cross for you. There's an old song that was put out a few years ago by a group called Phillips, Craig and Dean. And it's called Mercy Came Running. But what it says in that song is, when I could not reach mercy, mercy came running to me. Isn't that your story? If you're born again, if you know Christ personally as your Lord and Savior, but without him, there's just no hope. You know, I think about in 1488, the Portuguese explorer, Bartolomeu Diaz, he was attempting to navigate around the southern end of Africa. He was on his way, he was hoping to find a way to get past Africa so that he could go to India, so that he could establish a trade route that people in his footsteps could uh, follow. And so he discovered it, but the problem was there was this convergence, a convergence of the warm currents of the Indian Ocean with the cold currents from the Arctic and also the cold currents of the Atlantic. There was also unpredictable winds. It made the whole thing treacherous. He almost didn't make it. He decided, what am I gonna call this, this tip of Africa? So he said, I believe I'll call it the Cape of Storms the Cape of Storms. But when he got back and he told the, the king, who at that time in Portugal was King John II, he said, you know what, I found a way. We can make it around there, but man, I mean, it's rough when you go around the southern tip of Africa. And so he said, that's why I've named it the Cape of Storms. And the king is like, are you kidding me? You're focused on the difficulty of the journey. You ought to be focused on the destination of the journey. No, I'm gonna overrule you on that one. It's not gonna be called the Cape of Storms. It's gonna be called the Cape of Good Hope. The Cape of Good Hope. I don't know, as we go through this uh, book of Hosea, you're gonna think at one point, you're gonna say, there's no hope. And then all of a sudden, the warm current of God's mercy and God's love and God's grace will bring hope into your soul and you're gonna say, wow, I didn't expect that. All I thought was those cold, true, cold and true waters of God's justice. He's holy, he's righteous, he has to judge. That's a part of who he is. And we should be glad that that's a part of who he is. But we saw that in chapter one, verses two through nine, but in chapter uh, one, verse 10, something fresh something you may not have discovered yet. Hope is about to flow into your heart. The scripture cautions us though, not to misplace our hope. What are you placing your hope in? You know, if you were to look through scripture, you would find verses like uh, one that's in 1 Thessalonians chapter four, verse 13, that speaks of those who had not trusted Christ. And so he's contrasting it with those of us who have trusted Christ, and he said, there are people all around us who have no hope. There are people in Columbus who have no hope. That's why we're having that 
community revival out at the fairgrounds this afternoon, you know, starting at 1.30, because we want to offer hope to our community. But there are some people who misplace their hope. And so Jesus warned in Matthew 7, 22 to 23, some people are gonna think, all I've gotta do is be religious. All I've gotta do is just do some activity and God's gonna accept me. God will welcome me into heaven. But then how shocking will it be when they stand before him and he says, I never knew you. I did not have a personal relationship with you. You never put your faith and trust in my son. You're depending on your good works to get you into heaven. And so he will say to those kinds of people who've misplaced their hope, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. But then there are those like many of you in this room, maybe all of you, but probably not. But Titus chapter two, verse 13, talks about those who put their hope in Christ. We have what's called a blessed hope. It's sweet. That's why we want you to know him. We want you to know him. Current events are to tell you, you know what? I gotta make sure I'm ready because this world can change in an instant. So my prayer is that in Hosea, you will discover the truth about the consequences of sin, but you'll also discover, you'll also discover the blessed hope that's found in Jesus Christ. I would like to invite you to stand with me in honor of God's timeless truth as I read these three simple verses, just three verses, Hosea chapter one, verse 10. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you're not my children, my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together. And they shall appoint for themselves one head. I wonder who that's gonna be. And they shall go up from the land for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Say to your brothers, you're my people. And to your sisters, you have received mercy. Let's go to the Father in prayer. Oh Lord, let these words resonate with the voice of the Almighty God. I welcome you. I prayed over this passage asking that your Holy Spirit of truth would speak as we review these words. Lord, many of us have been so shocked and we've been discouraged as we've seen what's going on in Israel. But help us, O oh Lord, to find encouragement when we look into the scriptures. You can give us hope, hope that is founded upon promises that you made upon your plans, hope that is founded upon the character of God. Uh, hope that is found only in Christ. Oh Lord, I pray that you would speak to us as we look at these verses together in these remaining moments that we share. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. Well, let's begin with verse 10. How can we find hope? Where can we find hope? Well, how can you find hope if you are, say, Israel? You're in the Northern Kingdom. Hosea is just declared from verse two all the way down through verse nine. He's declared, you're going down, northern kingdom. You're going down, Israel. You're gonna be punished, Israel. Judgment is coming, Israel. So, I mean, it's definitely not looking good because Psalm 33, 12 says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Blessed, 
Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. But at that time, Hosea was walking away from God. Remember, that was reality, reality. And God sees reality. And so God is saying, you're not walking with me. I'm not your God. And so judgment is coming. It's not a surprise because Psalms 9, verse 17 through 20 talks about how the wicked nations will be cursed by God, not blessed by God. And yet when you get down to verse 10, look at the very first word. It's called a conjunction. And so he's just given all this judgment, right? But now look at verse 10, yet, yet. You know what yet does? It flips everything. It's like it was one way in the previous sentence, the previous verse, and then when you see yet, it means, but watch what God can do as he changes everything. It's almost like that word, nevertheless. Nevertheless is a good word. But how can you ever have a hope of restoration whenever you know good and well as a nation, we deserve judgment. We deserve punishment. We, we deserve condemnation. And so there's this desperation that you can feel. That must have been how they felt because they were told the Assyrians are coming. 722 BC, they came and then it was no more. But I want us to think about that whole idea of what is he trying to say in verse 10? When you don't have hope, where do you go? I'll tell you where Hosea went. The Holy Spirit led him back to the promises, back to the promises in Genesis, back to the promises that God made Abraham, that God made Jacob. So when you need to have hope, I encourage you, go back to the word of God. Go back to the promises that the Lord has made. Whenever you're thinking, everything seems so dark and so discouraging because in Genesis 13, 16, here's what God promised Abraham. It was an unconditional promise. And he said, Abraham, someday your offspring are gonna be as the dust of the earth. And then in chapter 15 and verse five, he just, he kind of tweaks it a bit. And God says, someday your offspring are gonna be as the stars of the heavens. And then he talks to Jacob and he says in Genesis 22, 17, someday your offspring are gonna be as the stars of the heavens and the sand of the sea. And then in chapter 32, verse 12, once again, God promises, unconditional promise, your offspring are gonna be as the sand of the sea. So I got to thinking, how much is that? Because some of you know I'm from Tennessee, so it's like I count my fingers and my toes, and when I'm out of that, I'm out of snuff. So it's like, what do you do? But I ran across one old boy who said, I know how much that would be. And so he counted the sand of the sea and came up with 10 sextillion, 10 sextillion. And he did some figuring on the stars and said 200 sextillion. But I want to stay with what God's word says in verse 10, when he says, yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like, okay, it's a comparison, like a metaphor, like the sand of the sea. And then God says, which cannot be measured or numbered. And so I'm thinking, wow, God says you can't count it all. I believe him. You can't count it all. I know I can't count it all. But what stood out to me was that little, the little words shall be. He didn't say it might be, <laughs> it could be. No, he says, yet the number of the children of Israel shall be. 
shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. So what he's saying is, you know what? Even though judgment is coming, Northern Kingdom, judgment is coming, Israel, he's saying, one day, yet, yet, I'm going to bless your descendants and they shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. Where do you go when you're looking for restoration? You're looking for something like this and you're thinking, man, I just, I know that I'm so desperate right now. I can't restore my own life. Well, I just want to point you in the direction of Jesus Christ because we have a verse from 2 Corinthians 5.17 that says, if anyone is in Christ, well, he's a new creation. He's a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. So that's why we are in the process of being restored. God's working. He's continually restoring us saying, you know what? All of that, that's past. That's before you surrender to my son. When you surrender to Jesus Christ, your whole life changes. And suddenly you would say, I never thought it'd be possible. And that's probably what the Northern Kingdom was thinking. We see the Assyrians and we know they're coming and we know they're ruthless. And so, hey, it's just not possible. And God says, oh, watch this. There's a second thing, and that is a hope of a reversal. A hope of a reversal of a legitimate condemnation. I see this when he says, and in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. He's talking about just a few verses earlier when God said, you are not my people. It shall be said to them, children of the living God. Wow. So God makes a declaration of a legitimate condemnation. The Northern kingdom had forsaken the Lord. And so God says, you know what? There's gonna come a day when you are going to face judgment in the Valley of Jezreel. And you know what? In 733 BC, they faced the Assyrians there and it came just like God said. Their whole nation went under just like God said. But then I see this verse 10. And in the place, in Jezreel, in the place, he says, where it was said to them, you're not my children, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. Well, what's he talking about? You know, the, the Valley of Jezreel is also known as the Plain of Esdraelon. And some of you may say, still not ringing any bells. Okay, how about this one? It's also known as the third place, the Valley of Megiddo. Does that ring a bell? You know, Joel chapter three, verse two, actually put a fourth name to it. and said, in the Valley of Jehoshaphat. You see, the word of God is so clear. Someday over in Israel, the nations of the world are gonna gather. And it's gonna be a terrible, terrible battle. As a matter of fact, Revelation 14, verses 17 through 20, says that the carnage and the bloodshed will be so bad that it will be 184 miles and it'll be four feet deep. And so I'm thinking, wow. You realize that the Valley of Jezreel is like 100 miles from the Gaza Strip. So if you're thinking this doesn't apply to us, oh, wait a minute. The word of God applies to all of us all the time. And so we need to say, wait, Lord, help me pay attention. I gotta get this down. Because Revelation 16 verses 12 through 16 says that the worlds will gather 
at this place, Armageddon. In this valley of Jezreel, this valley of Megiddo, this valley plain of Estrelon, this valley of Jehoshaphat. But in Revelation 19, 11 through 21, it says Jesus comes back. Right then, he comes back. And the armies of the world are just slain by Jesus. It's not a contest. It's easy. But somewhere in that, when the Lord's coming back, you know what happens to the people of Israel? They start feeling conviction. If you were to go over from where we are to Zechariah, in Zechariah uh, chapter 12 and verse 10, it says, and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace. Grace always seems to come when you don't think it's gonna show up. And please for mercy, so that when they look on me, on whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. You know what that is? That's called conviction. Somehow the spirit of God is gonna move in a powerful way whenever all this starts happening. And the people of Israel are gonna feel like we rejected Jesus. We rejected the Messiah. We turned away. And so there's gonna be conviction. And then look at chapter 13 of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 13 and verse one, verse one says, on that day there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. You see, great things are gonna happen in Israel according to biblical prophecy and what will happen. That's the good news. The bad news is before we get there, it's gonna be a bumpy ride. But you gotta have hope that helps you to see beyond those things and see that God has still got a plan. He's still working. So I wanna give you a third uh, area of hope is found in verse 11. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together. Wow. The children of Israel and the children of Judah shall be gathered together. You know, in 931 BC, the Jews, they were united under David. They were united under Solomon. But whenever Solomon's son Rehoboam became the king, something happened. They said the taxes are too high. And so they just ripped themselves apart. So 10 tribes pulled away from two tribes. And so suddenly from that point on, from 731 BC, they were always divided. Hosea's ministry began in 755 BC, 176 years later. So all they've ever known is my point. All they've ever known is division, strife, anger, hatred, and so forth. But Hosea brings this incredible prophecy of a future reconciliation. Well, in chapter one and verse 11, Jeremiah talks about it also in Jeremiah 50, verses four and five. Ezekiel talks about it in Ezekiel 37, verses 16 to 19 and verses 21 to 22. There's something that God's gonna do in the future that's gonna bring these two alienated peoples, they're gonna be united, reunited. You know, that's the way God does things, isn't it? 
Do you remember that verse I quoted earlier about those who have no hope? In that same passage, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, where he's talking about the rapture of the church and those who are still alive on the earth. You know what's gonna happen? We will join those that come back for us with Jesus to pull the bride of Christ, the body of Christ off of this earth and go to heaven with him. And so to think about the sweetness of that moment, what about your mom, your dad? What about your grandparents? What about those that you have really been friends with through the years and God took them home first? Is there any possible way you'll ever see them again if they knew Jesus Christ? Oh, it's more than possible. It will happen. It's a certainty. Even during the tribulation, I think, even though the church has been raptured out, there's still gonna be people saved during the seven years of the tribulation. But in Revelation 7, 9 through 17, it says that all are gonna be reunited right there before the throne. See, maybe you would say, it's not fair because maybe you've known somebody who was gunned down innocently or something happened and you're always struggling with God and you're saying, I'm not gonna serve a God that would allow that to happen. Just remember, God said, I'm gonna make a place where you'll be forever and ever and ever and ever with those who love me, those that you've loved who love me. You'll be together and so, listen, Satan's oldest lie is that God is giving you a raw deal. When all the time God is giving you the best deal you could ever imagine, it's just that Satan's hiding part of it from you so that you don't know what he's really planning. You know, this weekend I heard a touching message. I enjoy listening to messages uh, on the podcast with my uh, AirPods when I'm at the gym or when I'm doing dishes after supper. Sorry, man, I had to mention that. But anyway, uh, if you don't do dishes, it's not a big deal to me, you know. But anyway, uh, I heard a message by David Jeremiah, and it was really touching, and it was on, will children be in the rapture? And, and he gives a lot of verses. I'm just going to quote one of those, because I thought it was about being reunited. But, you know, there was a time when King David lost a, a baby, lost a child. And he says at a certain point after the child died, he says, I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. That's 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 23. Do you believe there's something beyond this life? Or do you think this is it? This is it. There's nothing else but this. Man, you're missing out. There is so much more. And David knew it. And David said, you know what? I'll go to him, but he'll never come back to me. There is this opportunity for you to have a reunion. A reunion. Was it Carrie Underwood that sings, this is not where it ends? This is not where it ends. There's a fourth hope, and that is the hope of somebody. Who's ever gonna straighten this mess out that we're in? You ever feel like, I'm looking around and I just don't see anybody. And yet it says here clearly, and they shall appoint for themselves one head, and they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Yep. You know, I believe that's a prophecy of the coming of Jesus Christ. Second Samuel, uh, verses, uh, 2 Samuel 7, verse 12 to 16, says that someday there's going to be a descendant of David's. 
that's going to be given a throne and he will reign forever. If you were to look over in Hosea, where we are, chapter three, not very far from where we are, verse five. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return. So here's, we're talking future again. They haven't returned to the Lord yet. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. Oh, there's David their king. And they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. See, it's all pointing toward Christ. He's coming back. That's why it's urgent for you to make sure that your faith is in Jesus Christ. But all of us know, based on your experience, my experience, but also based on history. Beyond what we've experienced, history tells us a long time. Humankind is into two things. Humankind, mankind wants to, we want to control and we want power. So who's going to be capable? Who is going to be able of taming that? I believe that Jesus is going to be competent. When it says that great shall be the day, I believe it's talking about that day when Jesus comes back. That day whenever all those nations are ready to pounce upon Israel and it says he comes back. You know, in Zechariah chapter 14, it says, then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. If you read that chapter, you'll see that all those nations of the world, their bodies begin to melt. It's like they just start melting. But then in verse nine of Zechariah chapter 14, it says what the ultimate goal is. Does God just wanna hurt people? Is that what he's into? That's not what he's into. Verse nine of Zechariah 14 says, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. That's what God wants. He made us. He's the only rightful one who knows how to rule over us. And so that's why Philippians two verses 10 and 11 says, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what it's all about. That's where we're going. That's where everything is going. Are you, will you be going in that direction or will you say, I'm never gonna bow my knee to him and I'm never gonna confess that he's Lord. I encourage you to rethink that. The fifth and final place of hope is a hope of renewal. A hope of renewal with a glorious identification. You see, here's what I think trips up a lot of people. It can be any age group, but I'm thinking maybe if I could just address it to the younger ones, young adults and teenagers and so forth. Sometimes I think what hurts you so much is that you make your identity about what others say about you. But it's not what others say about you that's lasting, it's what God says about you that's lasting. See, we should get our core identity from who we are in Christ. That's where we ought to get our identity. And so the Bible often says that God would change people's names. Just like in chapter two and verse one, he says, say to your brothers, you are my people and say to your sisters, you have received mercy. If you look back at where we just came from in chapter one, verses two through nine, that's not the names that were given, but God changes names. Remember how he changed Abram's name to Abraham? How he changed Jacob's name to Israel, Simon's name to Peter. Wow. You know, I think there 
there needs to be an awareness of our true identity as a believer in Christ, our true identity. And it's not related to your past. That's what's cool. It's not related to your past. It's related to you receiving grace from the Lord Jesus Christ. No wonder Lauren Daigle's song, You Say, no wonder it became so popular. I mean, even outside Christian circles, that song became so popular because the whole country at one time said, you know what's the most important thing? What he says, what God says. What God says is more important than what other people say. And so that's why that song, You Say, and you, you know how you overcome your insecurity? If you're dealing with insecurity, there's one way. You overcome your insecurity by grounding yourself in your identity, your identity in Christ. And that's why in verse 10 of chapter one, he's saying, you're, you're not my people. It shall be said to them, children of the living God. We just went through a name change right there, an identity change right there. But notice how important it is that you are with the right people who will affirm your identity in Christ. Look at chapter two, verse one. Say to your brothers, you are my people. Say to your sisters, you have received mercy. You know, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 says that church ought to be a place where people come and they're encouraged and it says, we are to be encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, the day drawing near, the day Jesus comes back. When you see we're getting closer and closer to the end times, you ought to say more than ever before, I need to be affirming. I need to be edifying. I need to be mentoring and discipling and sharing the gospel. And I need to pr be praying for other people. See, God is so into identity. He knows how important it is for us, but without it, we just kind of drift away. And you could be drifting away based on what all the social media people are saying, based upon what all the you know, movie stars are saying or the athletes are saying. You know, life can be like a race. It's just, we're so busy, we don't have time. It's like, no, I don't have time to, to go to the Bible or whatever. Well, in 1982, there was a man named Steve Callahan and he was involved in this special kind of a boat race. It was called a single-handed sailing race. And they were going to sail across the Atlantic. And so he got in his one-man boat. It was called Napoleon Solo. And so they're going along fine until they get over there around Spain and Portugal and so forth. So when they got over there, some bad weather hit. Several people that was in that, that race had to drop out, including Steve Callahan. So he had to pull over at uh, Spain, had to repair his boat and so forth, but he got it fixed. But it's too late because the, the rest of the race goes on. But at least he gets his boat repaired. So he said, you know what, that's good. I believe now I'll go ahead and set out. So he thought, I'm just gonna finish the race for myself. So he continued in the direction of the Canary Islands. But something unexpected happened. In his words, his boat was struck by a big, massive whale. And when a whale hits your boat, hey, your boat's not gonna, not gonna make it. So his boat began to sink in the middle of the Atlantic. I mean, he's out there, nobody is within 800 miles. He's all by himself. But he had the presence of mind to think, I put an inflatable raft and I put a harpoon gun and I put a way to collect uh, 
water from seawater and from rainwater and so forth. So he, he was able to manage to get a few things before his ship went down because he had put some air pockets in his boat so that it sank slowly. And so he was hurrying and getting that raft and putting all those things in there. So then, you know, you won't believe it. This guy was lost at sea for 76 days and he constantly struggled with hopelessness. Maybe that's your struggle. Maybe it's that I'm giving up. I'm so, I'm so beat. I'm done with this thing called life. Well, he was on day 14, he saw a ship. And so he started using everything he had to get the ship's attention, but they didn't see him. He saw them, but they didn't see him. That's just day 14. At day 30, 31, somewhere in there, about a month in, he damaged his raft. He's trying to shoot one of the birds and he shoots his inflatable raft. Oh, brother, can you imagine how he felt? And that's like day 30 or 31, somewhere in there. But he was able to uh, fix it and repair it somehow. I don't know how. But anyway, he said that was his life's greatest accomplishment was fixing that boat that was about to go down. But then on day 74, he says, I only had three cans of drinking water left. And he said, to be honest, it was hopeless. But then along came a fishing boat. Right after on day 75, he spotted lights. It's like the, his little raft was going up and down. And sometimes at night, he saw lights over there. There must be land over there. It was the island of Galante. It was uh, southeast of Guadalupe. And that's when the fishermen found him on day 76, the very next day. Maybe somebody here, you're just like Steve Callahan. He said, man, I've had it rough. You don't know all the things that have been going on in my life. You don't know all that's happening and I just see this stuff and I get down and I get down and I get down and I get down. Maybe you're, you're adrift on a sea of desperation. You're longing for hope. Who can put life together? Who can restore things? Maybe you would say, you know what? My problems are my fault. I've done it to myself. I've done so many things wrong. And so you know good and well that what you're facing, it's your own doing. So who could ever reverse it and turn it away from, from being condemnation to being blessing? Maybe some of you are like, well, the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom, you got Israel and Judah, and there's just alienation. Who could ever, who could ever bring reconciliation into that scenario that you're living under. Some of you may be so discouraged with man's leadership or maybe it's a woman, but, but somehow you're saying, I've given up. There's nobody. I don't know anybody I can trust. I submit to you, you can trust Christ. When he says he's coming back to reign, you can trust he's coming back to reign. Maybe you're so confused by what they say, but I wanna encourage you to go to what God says. I believe that's the best place to get your core identity. So we're just going to offer a time of invitation. We do this every Sunday. I want to ask our uh, musicians if they want to go ahead and come, but I want to invite you to consider trusting Christ. He's the only one that can rescue you. He's the only one that can bring you the hope that you're looking for. You see, he came and he died in our place. He took all of the punishment for our sins but not only that, after he did, because he was innocent, three days later, the father raised him from the dead. 
And so if anybody knows how to offer hope, I'd say he does. He does because he overcame death. So would you just consider today being that day that you say, I'm going to say yes to Christ. I'm going to reach out and say, Lord, don't pass me by. The fisherman found Steve Callahan, the boat's coming by you. Would you say to Jesus, please, please rescue me. Don't pass me by, Lord. Let's all stand together. Let's pray together. Ask God to to be Lord over this time. And then uh, we'll extend the invitation. Oh, Lord, thank you so much for what we're learning from your word. Maybe some of us in here thought that it was outdated, that it was old school. But the truth is, your word is not only relevant for today. What we saw today goes beyond today. We saw things in scripture today that they haven't happened yet, not even in 2023. And so I thank you that you're the author of hope. You contain the future. The future is written on your heart and your mind. And that's where we're headed. So please help us to to reach out to you. When we see Jesus coming by during this invitation, I pray we wouldn't let him pass us by. We would say, Lord, rescue me, save me. I need you, Jesus. So bless this time in Jesus' name we pray, amen. This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas.